0: Look at what we got. Look how look how legit we are. Oh shit. <laughs> nice. T shirts and banners.
1: Nice. Don't mind me, I'll just
0: be standing here the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs>
1: As the banner falls on my head. Almost like we're professionals now or something. So I want to talk about HTTPS for a minute. All right. (laughs) Because I got an issue opened on Diesel. I was just like, hey, FYI, if you search for Diesel RS in Google, Google shows, at least for the homepage, a link to HTTPS. And we're hosted on Google Pages, which does not support SSL for custom domains.
0: GitHub Pages, yes. What did I say? Google Pages.
1: Oh, sorry, yes. We're hosted on GitHub Pages, which doesn't support SSL for custom domains. So if you click the link that Google shows you, you get a certificate error because we don't have one of those. Uh, and then all the time we get people on Twitter who are like, hey, FYI, HTTPSBikeshed.fm doesn't work because we're hosted on Simplecast, which doesn't support SSL for custom domains. So, you know, I started like looking if, into if there's any way to, to force Google like, hey, FYI, my site doesn't work. Like, tech, it'll it'll load, but we don't serve a valid certificate. Please don't index the HTTPS version of my site. And all I can find are articles on how Google's now preferring sites which are HTTPS-enabled or HTTPS-only over sites that are not because, like, the world should be HTTPS. Which, like, I agree with, generally speaking. But mm-hmm. for something like Diesel's website, just a static page, doesn't really have any content worth tampering with. Like, sure going through an ad like I'm, I'm not arguing that there isn't some benefit to adding ssl you know it, it would prevent like some shady isp from you know injecting ads or whatever but not benefit to the point where it's worth it when it's just not as easy to set up ssl for a, a static a simple site like that as it is to not have it yeah and so many people keep trying to go to htps bike so like why For these sites, which have static content, not anything like worth intercepting, and doesn't have any sort of login.
0: Right. Well, I think potentially it's habit. I do it sometimes too. Like when I'm like, oh, let me look up our episodes, and I go HBS just out of habit bike i don't even know why i bother with htps but whatever
1: yeah i don't ever manually type that
0: right my fingers just do it occasionally i'm like ah oh, yeah i forgot that doesn't work or mm. I'll, like i'll be creating a link in the show notes like i'm like oh i know we talked about that on episode 17 like some things that we talk about in the show notes i actually recall off the top of my head the episode number that we spoke about it on <laughs> and i will just like type the link out or i'll type htps bike and i've published show notes like that before uh with the oh HGPS and it them. has a bad link right and then it has a bad link and then i have to edit the show notes but like i think what google is doing is smart i think they recognize that it's not the easiest thing to do right now but i think that they also recognize they're in a position to force that to become an easier thing to do
1: maybe i mean there there are two things that need to happen one of them already has right the first thing that needs to happen is ssl certificates need to become free mm-hmm. and the second Check. one is you need to be able to host with a custom domain for free and have ssl right. using your free certificate and Let's Encrypt gave us the free SSL certificates. We're still missing the free static site hosting.
0: You can do, I forget what they call it. There's a fancy word for it where basically with GitHub pages, you can enable HTTPS. But what you do is you put Cloudflare. Cloudflare, Cloudfront. Cloudflare, the non-Amazon one. Right. But that's not free. It is. It is? Yeah, I think for like a static page, I think. Let's look it up.
1: Maybe I should look into that then.
0: Cloudflare. But then it's not end-to-end. Right. Like, it won't be HTTPS from Cloudflare to
1: GitHub. Right, sure. But, like, since this is not... Well, I mean, it's never... It's basically never encrypted going to a CDN if you want your CDN to do caching. Um, Or at least they have the ability to, to decrypt it.
0: Right, they would have to
1: have your cert. Anyway, all that aside... Like it doesn't matter to me that if it's not end to end because it's not like it's it's not like we're talking about super confidential data or anything like that, right? It, the only real benefit is man in middle attacks, and I'm not worried about somebody man in middling a CDN between GitHub serving my site and itself.
0: Yeah, Cloudflare does have an article from 2016, secure and fast GitHub pages with Cloudflare, and then at the end it says I haven't really read through this all it says github pages Cloudflare, and a static site generator combined to create fast secure free hosting for static sites so that blog post oh, seems to indicate okay. that it well would then be maybe free. i should just do that i guess we could do the same thing with bike shed.fm if it were really free it surprises me that that would be free i don't know what they start charging for or the other thing i thought about is just basically building that out myself with right. uh with rack but also i don't know it's a podcast it'll be okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> I do support the general HTTPS everywhere. I think I think it's fine.
1: No, I, I do too, but it's just like stop punishing me for not having HTTPS until it's as easy as uh having it.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I don't think they're punishing you yet, right? There's just plans to punish you. Yeah. And I, I think sh- it's coming I, I sure fast. I'm sure and but...
1: earful about it frequently enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, this reminds me of uh, an issue that was opened sometime in the last month on clearance which Somebody opened a thing that's basically encouraging clearance to update so that the clearance controllers have the force SSL class method called in them. So, like, the clearance password controller or clearance sessions create would have force SSL on it. And I basically responded saying that, like, what we expect people to do is to use Rails as, like, config.force SSL, which is middleware level, like protection for your entire site, which does a bunch of things including setting up HSTS properly. I was about to
1: ask, do we do 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 that out of the box?
0: Yes. So if you do that, you get HSTS, which is like the thing that um, basically it makes it so that, like, if you type www.mysite.com into the URL bar, that's going to default to HTTP. The server can respond setting HSTS headers that say, like, hey, when the user requests this host, do it over HTTPS by default for 30 days or something like that.
1: You actually can't do that uh, over HTTP. Can't do what? you cannot reply with an HSTS header or at least have the browser listen right. to it if it was right. served over HTTP. You have to first 301 right. to it's HTTPS and first. then give the HSTS header. So that way right. they know that somebody didn't man in the middle of the certificate or something. Right.
0: And the other thing that the Rack Middleware will do is upgrade all cookies to secure only, which mm-hmm. means they can only be, the client will only send them on HTTPS requests. Uh, so basically saying like, uh, I think it's best practice for you to do this. Like clearance does expose a secure cookie setting. If for some reason you wanted to have like split, like some of my site is HTTPS and some of it is not. Right. Um, and for a long time, and I don't know if it still is. RubyGems Gems was that way. Like if you're not logged in, you're on HTTP. If you uh, log in, you're on HTTPS.
1: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that one.
0: And Ruby Gems, uh, it's on. Oh, I'm logged in. Let me log out.
1: So Ruby Gems is one of those like actually has malicious things that can be done by targeting it for a man-in-the-middle attack
0: okay so even signed out at least for me it is going to https ruby but it didn't for a while for a really long time uh right. and then when you signed in you got upgraded to https. i mean i guess maybe that's a holdover from the days when https had like a performance overhead and a cost overhead associated to it right but anyway so that was my recommended approach was basically like just make HTtPS if you're gonna have logins on your site just make your whole site HTPS all the time and then there was, like, a discussion about whether, like, why why would I do that? Like, that makes the pages slower, that kind of thing. And I just think we're at the point where that's not a concern.
1: Yeah. Well, and it doesn't make your pages slower anymore. It makes them faster, actually.
0: Oh, all right, then.
1: <laughs> something like eight years ago now, somebody published a study that was, uh, there was no measurable increase in time on the server. And then total round-trip time, including rendering, was faster with HTTPS than HTTP for, like, the Alexa Top 100 or something. Right. And also, like if
0: you're going to end up using the force SSL thing in controllers, that redirects going to happen much later in the stack. So like more right. stuff will have happened. It's going to be it's going to be slower because of that. It's going to be way slower because of that than it will because of an HTTPS handshake.
1: Well, and you want it to happen long before they hit the sessions controller, right? right. You want to have an HT an HSTS header have been sent before that, so that the server won't then try to send the password in plain text over HTTP only to get 301,
0: right? I mean, sessions new would have this as well, presumably. Right. Uh, But basically, I was like, just make if you need SSL on one page in your site, just just do it everywhere.
1: Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I'm definitely like, if it's like if you're running a Rails app, right, is getting SSL set up worth it? Is much more straightforward because you're going to be hosting it somewhere that you can serve a certificate. Right. Like my complaint is purely on the static sites or shared hosting type deals. Yeah.
0: Certainly. Uh, oh, Force SSL and as the controller helper. Yes. Let's deprecate it. Let's get rid of it. For the exact reason I just said, if you have SSL on your site, like just use it everywhere.
1: And if you, somebody really, really, really wants it on one controller, they can do a controller-level middleware. I think it's entirely confusing to have a
0: config- level thing called Force SSL and a controller-level method called Force SSL that do two different things wildly differently. Yeah. OK cool seems reasonable <laughs> and like it can be pulled out into a gem so that people who need it to continue to do what they do
1: can just add that gem right not a rails maintain gem so if so, it, i think it would be more of a like if you need this and you would like to volunteer to maintain a gem version of it right yeah i think so we'll help, we'll help you extract it we just won't maintain it all right
0: well maybe i'll uh, maybe i'll open a pr to that effect uh and the last podcast we did we talked about some missing stuff from action controller parameters and that got addressed pretty quickly so
1: that was cool so i assume you you opened issues on those then
0: i opened one issue that ended up covering basically everything i did mention the possibility of calling it with defaults but nobody seemed to pick up on that calling reverse merge with defaults but
1: ah yeah that that one i would just like alias method (laughs) submit the pull request
0: (laughs) see if it happens see what happens yeah this weekend I want to pivot a little bit this weekend. I pulled out my Nintendo Entertainment System from 1988 and let my children play with it. And uh, first of all, I was saying this. I was just saying this at lunch. It's shocking going back to a system that a plays from cartridges, so it has no load time problems at all, and b exists in a time period where there wasn't like a I don't know cinematographic nature to video games, so there were no there's no like pre roll. Right, you put the game right. in, and you are playing the game. Like, in, right. like I'm used to like start the game up, go sit on the couch, find find the wireless remote, sit on the couch, click through a couple like stupid splash screen type things, and then like load your thing, watch the loading time, take a couple sips from your drink, and now it's just I mean, like.
1: I mean, early NES games, it wasn't e- it was uncommon to even be able to save because the NES itself had no internal storage, so right. they had to put additional storage on the cartridge itself if they wanted to give you the ability to save. Zelda
0: was the first home. I think it was the first home game it was the first nintendo game that you could say like you could actually save your progress could you save the original zelda yeah it had a battery on the okay had a battery in the cartridge which occasionally goes bad and you have to open it up and replace the battery
1: right (laughs) and i mean that heritage (laughs) continued up up until i think the the nintendo ds even because uh although the i don't know if the batteries for game boy advance games are dying yet but like all the old pokemon games you can't save anymore
0: yeah, but it was fun, because it was, you know, I got to show it, like, I was home with the children, my children, for uh, the whole weekend my wife was away, so I was like, let's let's do something really fun that'll make them forget that mom's not here, and so we played video games all weekend, it was a great time. Also, like, a reminder that, like, I read all these video game reviews now that are like, this game doesn't run in 1080p, <laughs> 60, when it does run in 1080p, it's at, you know, 53 frames per second. And it's just, like these you should see how much fun these kids had on these games that are 8-bit graphics on a giant TV through a composite AV connection uh, <laughs> like,
1: Did you guys play Mario 3 at all?
0: Somehow I do not have Mario 3. I must have lost okay. that cartridge somehow
1: but, um, Are you familiar with like the weird artifacts on the edge of the screen in Mario 3? I am not there was a video I watched that cuz I was always curious why this was and I assumed it was just cuz Mario 3 was towards the end of the NES's lifespan it was just doing more complex graphics and that's why where, where the artifacting came from. Is this just because of overscan? Well, so that's one that that's one aspect of it is that they'd never bothered to fix it because on old TVs people wouldn't see it because overscan.
0: Right. And overscan is basically like the image was actually bigger than what was displayed on your TV. So if you play those if you play an old NES on your flat screen TV like I did now you see this weird stuff at the edge which is like like in Super Mario Bro- the original Super Mario Brothers there's like sky at the edge of the screen where there should be bricks that you're walking right. on or something like that.
1: Uh in Mario 3 in particular like you'll you'll see kind of on the right side of the screen you can basically visually see things load in And they'll usually be the wrong color for one a half tiles worth of pixels. And I was always I, I was always curious why that was because it wasn't in like Mario One or Mario Two or American Mario Two, which wasn't Mario. Um, it was <laughs> right. It was like only in Mario Three, and I always just assumed like Mario Three was towards the end of the NES lifespan, so they just were doing more complex stuff. But what it actually was is basically the NES had very specific regions of memory that was used for loading in all of the tiles that were going to be displayed on the screen, uh, and it could have four regions. But it couldn't load new things into them efficiently. So typically what uh, they would do is they would duplicate either horizontally or vertically, depending on whether the game itself scrolled horizontally or vertically. So that way they had one region where they could buffer everything in another region where they were actually displaying things. And so the reason Mario 3 has this artifacting is because it's a game where the screen can scroll both horizontally and vertically at the same time. Ah. Um, and so that's why, like, if you look at Metroid, for example, which doesn't have this problem and is a game where you can the screen scrolls horizontally and vertically, you'll notice it never does it at the same time. In some rooms, you can go up and down uh, vertically, and in other rooms, you go horizontally. But in the NES Metroids, there were no rooms where you can make the camera move in both directions at the same time. So that's the first part of it. And then there's a there's like a masking technique you can do to sort of cover it, but it's difficult, and they don't do it very well. Like Kirby's another game that has this artifacting, but they did a much better job with the masking. But then the reason that everything's the same color or the wrong color in that in that area where they're loading in um, is basically the NES had super limited ways that you could draw color palettes. Not, not like the old, old school Ataris where you literally could have three colors and had to do crazy tricks if you wanted more than three colors on screen at a time. <laughs> but uh, basically the area where things were loading in had to share a color palette with the half tile on the left side of the screen. And so whenever anything's loading in, you'll notice it's the wrong color, but it'll specifically be the color of the thing leaving the screen Ah. oh i just thought that was interesting that is Uh, interesting and like and the reason they never fixed it is like you said overscan was a thing old tvs didn't think in terms of pixels they thought in terms of dots i guess something which aren't (laughs) pixels lines lines (laughs) right overscan used to be i mean overscan's still a thing but it's much it's much less of a thing than it was on old tube tvs so most people would never see the artifacting but it's very visible nowadays when you have like when I want to play old NES games, right, I have I have my DS because my mom got rid of all of my old consoles before I moved out of the house. Um but you know, you can download copies of all these games on on the DS, but there, right, it's pixel perfect. So you can you can see all of the weird stuff that was hidden by the edge of your TV on NES games. Hmm.
0: That also the T V stuff reminds me it was disappointing to my children and to me that Duck Hunt does not work anymore, unfortunately. No, no it so like I think most people know, most nerds kind of know how the gun worked, right. which was it was t- basically taking a picture of your screen. Yep. You were not shooting at the TV. The TV was shooting at you, which is similar to how, <laughs> which is exactly, it's actually a precursor to the Wii remote. Where you oh, so the, can it can,
1: can it not see uh, LCD? It can't
0: see. It's not that it can't see LCD. It's that it, what it did is it, it made the screen blink. Like when you pulled the trigger, mm-hmm. the screen blinks very quickly and the light gun or the software on the in the cartridge somewhere along the way took that image and interpret it in the context of how CRTs redraw a screen after they after they've been blinked like that okay. and LEDs and LCD TVs and plasma TVs do that differently oh. so it doesn't it just doesn't work anymore the screen blinks you still see it like very like perceptibly blink but it can't but read. Can't it can't read where where you hit it, which was very disappointing, and also disappointing because I also have uh, one of those NES Rob the Robot things, which works mm-hmm. on the same technology. So like, they I have that out like on a shelf for like just kind of like retro. Like, look at this; this is kind of cool.
1: I mean, Rob looks cooler as a centerpiece than whatever. Right? I tweeted, was I tweeted that,
0: and I also told them I was like, you know, don't worry, I can show you a video of this game working. It really wasn't cool. (laughs) (laughs) It was really loud and really obnoxious. It looks way cooler than it was to play with. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, so this is a roundabout way of me saying, this got me back into playing Zelda a lot. So I've been playing, I have a 3DS and I've been playing like older Zelda Game Boy games that I had never gotten a chance to play. Like right now I'm playing Oracle of Seasons, which is a Game Boy Color game. And I have a whole bunch, like, now I have this queue of, like, oh, I missed all these handheld Zelda games, so whatever. Did so, you play
1: the new 3DS one, though?
0: No, I also didn't it's do that. It's
1: really good. That's next, I mean, it's not new anymore, but right, the...
0: Right, that's next on my list, because my favorite Zelda game is actually the SNES Zelda game, which that is, like, the spiritual successor to. So it's next on my list. But what I was getting um, to... Hang on, whatever... Okay. <laughs> hang on, we gotta, we gotta get somewhere. Okay. <laughs> what I was getting to is playing all this Zelda... Today, as I was doing some like refactoring, all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is like, this is very similar. Cause like, so I'm playing Zelda, and the best Zeldas are kind of like, they're linear, but they have like offshoots that you can like kind of get distracted and go do this offshoot for a little while. And then, like, oh, I got, I'm in the middle of this trading quest now where I'm like trading items up and I'm getting more valuable items. And then eventually I'm going to get a brand new sword or something like that. And, You take a break from like going from dungeon one, dungeon two, dungeon three to do these things along the way. And then today, as I was refactoring something, I was like, oh, I keep getting distracted by these other little things I have to do off the side. And I was like, this is exactly like what happens to me when I'm playing Zelda. I'm like, wait, why am I doing this? Wasn't I trying to go and get the item that I know is in this dungeon? Like, why am I now trading a pot for a duck? or something and that is like it just struck me as very similar to like the mind frame that you find yourself in when you're on like a long refactoring journey and i was wondering if that was like as a kid playing all these types of games that were in a similar vein like metroid uh was metroid metroid was pretty linear i guess
1: Metroid was kind of linear, but it was known for that, like, you find the doors that you can't get through, and then you eventually find items that let you get through all the doors and the areas that you were already in kind of gameplay.
0: Right. And you have to remember, like, oh, when I get the thing that lets me do this, I should come back to this area and do that. And there's a bunch of
1: exploration stuff that you can do that's less linear.
0: And so that's, like, very similar to, like, oh, when I solve this problem, I should come back and refactor this right and i often right. forget and then like i see it
1: fix me a comment and hope that you see it
0: right i forget it and then i come i go by and then like i'm doing another refactoring or another feature later on i'm like oh yeah there's that thing i meant to refactor <laughs> <laughs> or oh yeah there's that pit i can now jump over or uh no, but you, you, know.
1: N- you know the the real solution's not to trade the pot for the duck so stand to the left of the guy who takes the duck, read the sign three times, open the menu, and take advantage of the fact that once you've read that sign three times, the text pointer causes your menu to overflow uh, <laughs> to overflow into memory. And you can now use your inventory to manipulate arbitrary points in memory in the, in the game's code and then basically do a remote code execution attack to get yourself to Ganon and win.
0: <laughs> Is this a real thing?
1: I don't know if there was specifically <laughs> one in Oracle of Seasons, but yes, basically in old games and new games. New games are just like less well understood exactly what, the bu- what buffer overflows occur when and where. But uh, if you watch, uh, there's, a, there's a charity event that happens twice a year called Games Done Quick. Mm-hmm. Um, where they do speed runs and they'll have categories that allow for glitches versus don't allow glitches. And like if you watch the glitched version of Pokemon Blue, they'll be the entire game with all 150 Pokemon in like 30 minutes because just you can manipulate arbitrary memory in those games.
0: <laughs> Sounds
1: awesome. Uh, and Mario 3, there's a there's a way that you can get into a pipe area where like Koopa shells correspond to literally points in memory. And if you kick the right Koopas and then go into a pipe, you get to the princess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that stuff. That's good stuff.
1: I love it, too. But then I remember that, like, OpenSSL has the same vulnerability. Like, this is literally the the same vulnerabilities that cause right. all of the security issues in the software we actually rely on. And it's less fun. It's there. a buffer
0: overflow. Yeah, a well-crafted one that takes you where you want to go
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: so yeah, that was that was like a moment for me where I was like Oh, this isn't all that different than the fun that I had when I was a kid exploring these games like Sometimes I find these refactoring things like similarly fun where you're like oh now that I've done this I've unlocked this other area I can get to and now I can do this and oh look it makes this way my way this thing I was doing before way easier and yep. it's, uh, it was like the first realization that what I was screwing around with when I was a kid is kind of in, in many ways similar to what I do for a job now. Although, you know, obviously I don't make video games.
1: I'm, I'm really knee deep in one of those refactoring quests right now. Oh, yeah. I'm porting uh, crates.io yes. over yep. to use diesel. Yep. But like I'm, it's actually happening this time as in, you know, I do an endpoint and open a pull request.
0: Right. We chatted about this a little bit last week.
1: I've I've gotten through most of the big ones where it's like, well, to do this I'm blocked on like this, 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 and this. Uh and now it's most of the endpoints that I'm finding now. It's just like, okay, I can port this over. I know how to you know, I know how to do it, and it's pretty straightforward. Uh the problem is like the big one that I'm working on right now is crates new. I've been I I actually was just trying to go through like I went to the routes and I was just going linearly. And all of the really, really hard ones are at the top. <laughs> So, like, I've done crates index, uh, which was one of those, depending on the query string, do one of 80 billion different complex queries. Yep. And then I did uh, the homepage for the entire site, which is actually not too bad, but it was just a bunch of different semi-complex queries. And now I'm doing crates new, which is just does so much stuff and hits so many different things. But then the other problem is a bunch of tests for other endpoints have to hit this endpoint to set up their data. They can't just go to the database and say, like, create this crate because they'll be doing things like, like, there's one test, for example, testing the yank endpoint. There's a test that's like, upload a crate, yank the latest version, and then make sure in the git index that the version appears as yanked. So it's not even, Mm -hmm. like, it needs to be in the database because we're hitting these endpoints. But what it's actually testing is not so much the effects in the database, but the effects in the git index. And so so this is just one of those where because I've ported this endpoint over, there's a bunch of other endpoints that I now have to port over. And then when I port those over, who knows if that's going to cause others. And they're ones that are tightly coupled, so I can't just do the other ones that depend on this one first because the tests for these endpoints require both to be ported over.
0: Right. So you're on your way to a mega PR then?
1: <laughs> I'm thinking I'm just gonna like open the pull request as it is with the tests that are broken set to skip, and then if we're not comfortable merging that while those tests are set to skip, I'll open PRs to my PR. Yep. There's a uh it's actually kind of annoying. I went down a rabbit hole because I was just thinking like, all right, not that this is ever a good idea, but is there some way I can do some horribly hacky thing to force these two connections to share a transaction? Ah, uh, yes. Because that would make this whole port so much easier. Because it would just be, I port an endpoint over, maybe port the tests over, maybe not. But, like, it would be fine. And there actually there actually is a, it's not exactly the thing that I want, but there is a thing in the SQL standard, which is setting a transactions isolation level to read committed or read uncommitted, which Postgres uh, supports, but it, it silently treats read uncommitted the same as uh, read committed. Okay. Which is the default transaction isolation level. Hmm. Oh, well. And there's no way in Postgres to see (laughs) uncommitted data from another connections transaction.
0: Hmm. And you can't make them share a connection?
1: (laughs) No, no, uh, because they fundamentally interact in different ways. Right.
0: For a while, I remember that being a thing. That's how I set up, like, Selenium or something like that. Like, in my Rails test suites, like, getting it to use the same thread
1: as... Well, it's using the same connection. That's not sharing a transaction between the
0: two. It was a way to get around using database cleaner.
1: Right. That would be r- making sure that the server runs in the same thread as your tests or having the connection actually shared between the two threads, which is dangerous. Right. But I think that's what I was doing. <laughs> that's what that's what uh, action system test does. But we've like added additional synchronization into ActiveRecord to make that kind of safe.
0: OK, cool. So when are you going to be done with your uh, your diesel port of crates?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Probably in like a few weeks. Cool. It's been good though. I found a few bugs in diesel that I was able to fix pretty easily. And then it's driven a few new features. Uh, and I've been using window functions all over the place because window functions are magic. <laughs> yeah. Let me, yep. yeah. Let me show you what this final query turned into. Because it's kind of like I ended up having to add this subselect in, which was completely redundant with the rest of the query, but made it so much faster because just of when data got filtered out. Mm -hmm. So what this query has to do is uh, given a crate, give me all of the other crates whose max version depends on this crate ordered by the number of downloads that those crates have with pagination. Right. And I want to do that in a single query. And this does it in a single query. (laughs) And it uses multiple window functions to do so. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's not bad. I also lo- really love that in Rust, like I have a thing which I need as a string literal in my code, but yep. I can just put it in a separate file and just say, hey, compiler, put this as a string literal in my code without, you know, doing any like file IO at runtime or anything like that.
0: Hmm. Where, are you doing that somewhere?
1: Yeah, it's just uh, I
0: can send you a link. Why is crate spelled with a K in this? Because
1: crate is a keyword in Rust.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> so include stir bang. Is a macro at compile time that just includes a string from this file?
1: Yep. Anything that has a bang is a macro in Rust. Yeah. Uh, there's also include bytes, which includes that the contents of that file as a byte array, mm-hmm.
0: literal. Cool. Yeah, this isn't bad.
1: No, no, it's not. But it's just like one of those queries that part of why I liked being able to pull it out into a file. I pulled it out into a file because I wanted to add comments yep. and like indentation. It's just one of those I would not have, probably would not have... Bother to do that if it had to be a string literal in the actual code, right? Yep. and when I can add comments, which is like this is why we're doing this thing, which might not be immediately apparent. I like which that. I usually like to keep out of code, but for a query like this, it felt really necessary.
0: Yeah, we were, I think we discussed before when like we've discussed complicated query things before, and I sent you something, and you were like, "Oh, it's a SQL file with a comment." <laughs> 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 this will be fun. It's also one of my problems with like. JSON configuration files becoming like a thing more and more because you can't put comments in JSON. So you can't say why a configuration is set a certain way except in git, which is okay, but or even what a configuration does, right? Like here's what this configuration does. Can't do See, that. I've never I've never liked that. I like when libraries default it with like here are all the various configuration things you could do with a quick description, but then one of the first things I do is just delete all of those things. Right. But I like to get an overview of like, what's the configuration possible here?
1: So if, if you generate Rails new foo right now, yep. and you open up config routes.rb, mm-hmm. you remember how it used to have that giant comment? Yep. Now it will be a link to basically all the content of that comment, but on a, a web page. That's a easier to navigate but B the important thing is doesn't add this big intimidating looking thing to newbies right. Who are then like oh this file is really important Maybe I shouldn't change this right and there
0: is a certain amount of like well It's kind of nice to have this here Do I really want to delete this at what point do you are you like I know this well enough that I can delete these comments here that guide me Right right because I know for I've, I work on a lot of projects that have been around for years and the comments are still in the routes file <laughs> it's like, well, I just needed to know. Like, it's good documentation. It's like, well, there's actually documentation.
1: <laughs> but, and it also, it, it's, it's good documentation for the version you ran Rails anew of. Right. <laughs> right. Like, Very that API changes down. over time. True, true. All right. Cool.
0: Anything else? Are we done? I don't know. <laughs> talk about Zelda more. I'd love to talk about Zelda more.
1: Tess really wanted a switch for our anniversary. <laughs> that proved to be difficult, you tried <laughs> i didn 't pre order it right, so I check Amazon every day. <laughs> I got our gift card for the um, the cost of a switch <laughs>
0: <laughs> they'll they 'll be available at some point
1: yeah pro- in like a month or two they 'll be easy. I played one
0: here. Ian got one, and he brought it in, and we played it. It was fun. We played a couple of the games on one two switch, or yeah, I think we played a couple of games on one two switch, and then we played this other game where It's one of the WiiWare, or I guess they're not called WiiWare anymore, like basically indie software download things you can do. And it's this weird game where you're like two pieces of paper and you bounce around. And the first game we played was like you had to try and form yourselves into these shapes and you cut each other. I don't know. It was really weird, but it was also like... I had a lot of fun. Like, I laughed a lot. I was like, okay, I see what they're doing with this. Like, this is pretty good. And then Ian was like, yeah, this is also widely considered to be the second best launch game.
1: <laughs> right. It, it's a $400 copy of Zelda. Right. We, have no, we have no illusions about that. That's
0: kind of why I've gone down the road of, like, I'm just going to, like, I got this 3DS that my wife bought me for my longer train commute that I have now. But I haven't been playing with a lot lately. And... I really want to play the new Zelda, but there's plenty of all these old, really good Zeldas that I've never played or that I've played like right. many, many years ago that I can play through. And so I'm in the process of doing of doing that. And I tried, I don't know if I should admit to this on a podcast, but I tried running Homebrew on my 3DS and I got it to run with the idea being like, am I really going to pay Nintendo another $5 for the first copy of Zelda, for the first version of Zelda again? Like I've bought it now... On the NES, I've bought it on the Wii. I bought it on the GameCube, like when they had that like collector's edition thing.
1: They do need to have like an actual account that right. shares virtual con- console purchases. Well, why?
0: People like me will continue to pay them $5. Because
1: if you lose yeah. your 3DS,
0: right. your purchases are gone. Yeah, yeah. And that's ultimately, like what I tried to do is like, doing this homebrew thing. I was like, this is kind of a pain in the butt and the UI isn't great. And I'm just gonna pay Nintendo for the games yeah. again. <laughs> so that's what I do. No, it's really, it's way I easier. wish
1: like more companies would do that because that's part <laughs> like the Switch that's a huge misstep for them to have not launched for the virtual console because yeah, I was gonna say, old did, games are good.
0: Yeah. It's fun to play the old games. Especially the Zelda games are all awesome. Almost almost all of them. I don't really like the second one very much. The second NES one.
1: Oh yeah. Link's Adventure. Yeah. The weird two D side scroller side yep. Scroll.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. What about uh, adventures of Ga- Was it adventures of gammon gamelon Something like that
0: what this is something I don't know anything about this is now The zelda podcast. sorry <laughs> adventures
1: Of gamelon hold on How do I find the name of this I've Never heard of this zelda game I Know the meme that comes from it and that Will find that will lead me to the name Oh I thought they actually made a okay it was It was a cartoon I thought there was actually a game That was in this style as well mm. Never mind did you, ever, did you ever see the uh, Zelda cartoon or a clip of it?
0: Yes, I remember the Zelda cartoon. It was good, good
1: stuff, man. <laughs> well, excuse me, princess. <laughs> What's your favorite Zelda game? Probably a tie between A Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time. Yeah,
0: those are two good ones. I have a soft spot for Wind Waker.
1: Oh, Wind Waker was great.
0: I love the graphical style, which means I should probably play... On my list is to play Phantom Hourglass, which is the DS successor to that.
1: Phantom Hourglass was, I mean, it wasn't bad. It was, it was, it was a decent game, but it, like, it did not have any of the character. Of uh, okay. Wind Waker.
0: Okay. I didn't really like the like the excessive sailing in Wind Waker. Like there were parts where you had to like make it all the way across all that water, and you're like, eh, like they're, they're, I I just think remember times where I would uh, set the controller down and be like, go in this direction, and then I would change the input on my TV. And then I would switch back and be like, am I there yet? Like, (laughs) But yeah, for me, it's probably Link to the Past, the SNES one. And I guess Ocarina as well, or maybe Wind Waker. I don't know. I'm not sure.
1: Majora's Mask, I also like both (laughs) as a game and also as a case study of like MVPs and software.
0: (laughs) That's one of the ones that I have not played. I owned it when I had an N64 in college and I started it. I remember starting it and being like, this is weird and not playing it. And then going back to it and being like, actually... It's really good, but never, yeah. I, never, I never got around to finishing it before I... Well, it's quite it. good,
1: but like the whole three days repeating thing was literally because they wanted a game that they could make to follow up to the success of Ocarina of Time quickly.
0: Right, and it also only has like four dungeons or something like that. Yeah, so this is the new one. Oh, really? There's a
1: bunch of micro dungeons.
0: <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. I'm just excited to play it eventually, someday, maybe. I mean, I guess you could get a Wii U and play it on the Wii U, right? Isn't didn't they do I that? I hear
1: the Wii U version's really crappy. Oh,
0: they've done that with a, with a few of them now. They did that with um, Twilight Princess as well when it came out on the GameCube and the Wii.
1: Yeah, and then uh, the Skyward Sword. No, that was just on the Wii. Never mind. Oh, okay. For some reason, I thought it was on the Wii U as well. I've never played that one either. I Skyward was Skyward Sword was pretty good. Okay. I liked it.
0: See, there's a lot of things I have to do. I don't have to. I don't have to bother getting a uh, a Nintendo Switch. I can wait. I can take my time. I got a lot of Zelda's to play.
1: <laughs> there was this one image on the internet that I thought was funny because you know one of the, one of the things in the new one is like you kind of skateboard on your shield.
0: Yeah, I've seen clips of that.
1: But if you look at uh, Metacritic at like the top rated games of all time, <laughs> Ocarina of Time and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. <laughs> and so it's just a picture of Miyamoto looking at that going, hmm.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <sighs> All right. I don't have much more to say about Zelda. I mean, I do, but maybe maybe we can just have a series where we go through each Zelda game. You know, we'll start with the original and then we'll, we'll move our way up. It was uh, the original. Like, think about the value you got with that game. It was it took a long time to beat. It was a puzzle, so it was fun to play the whole time. And then there yep. was a second quest like, <laughs> where things moved around. It was still the same game, but things moved around. It was an entirely new game to play. Can you imagine them shipping a game like that today that was like, oh, you beat it? Here's all an entire like we've also done this work to do this entirely other version of the game that you can play and you get it for the same price. Right. That's pretty awesome anyway
1: i mean games do have in terms of cost per hour of entertainment one of the best returns on investment
0: right although it was i will say like i've been looking at like okay well what would we, what would it cost to get a nintendo switch and then how much the game if you pay full price for it isn't it it's like 70 dollars right
1: yeah for, i mean it's a lot of money the man. nes was roughly the same price adjusted for inflation and an I nes know. game was also roughly the same price adjusted for inflation
0: i guess i i guess that makes sense like i'm just like, like i remember is being like
1: really expensive yeah and I
0: remember it wasn't too long ago, like $40, 50 hung, hung for a while. And then like, I think maybe the Xbox 360 or the Xbox was like, mm, we're going to charge $60 for games.
1: Yeah, Xbox 360 was when I went to 60. And then now it looks like we're going to 70, which like, okay, yeah. we're get, it's going up by about, by about $10 a decade. That's
0: it's probably good inflation.
1: Yeah, it's about <laughs> on par with inflation. I mean, now you also have to factor in the cost of DLC, but
0: yeah, and Nintendo has that for they have like two downloadable content packs you can pre-buy for like $20 or something like that, right? Yeah. Okay, so our homework is to each of us, we'll get a Switch and play Breath of the Wild, and then we'll talk about that next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll both, we'll both find it. You know, actually, I I, I was meaning to drive down to Augstenburg and see if they have some in stock, because they have a Walmart in Augstenburg, and I can't imagine that there's actually like people there buying it, because it's just an Amish town. <laughs> in the middle That's what of everybody else is Park. thinking.
0: Have you seen Brick Seek?
1: Brick Seek?
0: Yeah. It's like a website for finding products that you want at brick-and-mortar stores. So they have a pretty good Walmart inventory checker, so you can try that. Or at least they used to, oh. I don't know whether or not they still still do.
1: So, yeah. I've kind of wanted this exact thing for a long time. wonder oh. if it works in Canada.
0: Hmm, good question. Not sure. Anyway.
1: Oh, I do have one, one, <laughs> one random thing, because just to complain more about shipping to Canada. <laughs> right, so we have that t-shirt. And so I was going to get onesie made. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like going through and I went to customing because I'm like, I don't actually know of that many places I can do decent quality one off printing of -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I went there I'm like, and I selected their onesie and I got it all ready to go. And then it's like, you have to order six of these, but you can use this different product instead that you can buy just one of. So I switched to that recustomize it go to checkout and they're like cool let's calculate your shipping costs enter your zip code so I put in my zip code and I'm like oh sorry we don't ship this onesie to Canada but you can switch to this other onesie which is the one that I was at the first time <laughs> in order of six so if, they, if, if I want to ship to Canada I have to buy six of them
0: can you buy six of them and then just buy six different sizes of onesie
1: <laughs> no
0: it's a little grow I, did,
1: I actually did <laughs> think about that and check and no
0: oh uh, I'm sure there's a lot of babies who want a bike shed onesie I
1: actually consider just getting six of them.
0: I'm sure we can find people with babies who would put their children in a dorky T-shirt.
1: <laughs> I know of one other maybe baby who's going to be there who would want who who, who would take a onesie. So, <laughs> hey, listeners, if you're going to have if you if you want a bike shed onesie at RailsConf, <laughs> only
0: in baby size.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's only in baby size. I'm thinking about ordering six of these things. So if, if you would be interested in a bike shed onesie for your child, email us. And if five of you email us, I will get six of them and bring them to RailsConf. <laughs> That's right. Problem solved. All right. If not, I'll just get the American one shipped to you or Tom.
0: Yeah, you get a ship here. We'll bring it.
1: All right. Cool.
0: We got to wrap up because
1: okay. what train. are we going to talk about next?
0: <laughs> I don't know.
1: All right. Uh, I'm just trying to satisfy Adam Hess, who said that he wanted to hear you and I talk about things. <laughs> We're talking about things. <laughs> Might not be terribly interesting things.
0: Yeah, well, we, I guess we did. I think, I mean, if you don't like Zelda, jeez. Uh, <laughs> <sure. laughs> All right. Show notes for this episode can be found at bike shed.fm slash 104. As always, the and reviews on iTunes are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore bike shed. Email us at host at bike or leave a comment on the website.
1: Thanks for listening to the bike shed, and we'll see you next time.
0: Woo!